All right, Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Revelation 4, verses 1 through 4. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. That's as, probably as far as we're going to get tonight, because we're going to take some time to deal with this question of who are these 24 elders. Now, to be honest with you, who are the 24 elders? The answer is not only knowable, it's exciting, and I can't wait to show it to you. So I'm just going to tell you straight up from the beginning that these 24 elders are the church. They're the church that has been raptured prior to the tribulation period, and the thing, or the things about to take place. As you saw here, John was told, come up here and I'm going to show you what must take place after this. And when he gets there, the church is already there. Now, some over the years have tried to say that the 24 elders represent the, all the redeemed throughout history. Or some say that they're angels. I'm going to show you later on tonight how the scripture says this is not possible. Alright? So how can we know that these 24 elders are the church? Well, scripture has been telling us all along that one day... The believers, the church, will rule and reign with Jesus. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3. Back up to Revelation chapter 3 and look at verses 21 and 22. Again, as we said last week when we were together, remember in these messages to the seven churches in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, these were literal churches that existed and God had a message to each one. But in that message to each one was also messages to the church age. Because every time as he finished that message to the church in Ephesus or Perga, Pergamum or Smyrna or wherever, he would say, hear what the Spirit says to who? The church is. All right, so... In Revelation chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, he says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my what? On my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It can't get a whole lot more clear than that, can it? Whoever conquers, and by the way, how do we conquer? The Bible says we conquer by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a whole study for another time. In 1 John, it talks about how this is how we've conquered through faith in Jesus Christ. And whoever conquers, whoever has faith in Jesus Christ, he says, you're going to get the right to sit with me on my throne. Now, that's kind of a cool picture. Well, go to Revelation chapter 2, though. As you've heard me say, never let anybody teach you a doctrine or build a, a, a teaching or a theology on one verse. My desire is to show you the whole of Scripture talks about this. And so in Revelation chapter 2, we also see in verses 26 and 27, Jesus says to the church in Thyatira and to the church as, the one who conquers, there's that word again, who, and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over who? Over the nations. And he'll rule with room with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. So again, the Bible's been talking about the churches. We're going to not only sit on thrones with Jesus up on, uh, in heaven, we're also going to rule and reign over the nations. Now, we'll get into this in a lot more detail down the road, because part of this prophecy is going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus literally comes back to the earth and sets up His kingdom on the earth. 
I'll be showing you all this as we get into it. If Jesus tarries and doesn't come get us beforehand, I'll be showing you over the weeks and months and years. Who knows? It might take us a year to get through Revelation. In the time to come, I'm going to show you how the Bible teaches that Jesus himself is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. David. King David is going to be his prince and a rule with him from Jerusalem. There's going to be a Jewish branch of government over the Jewish nations. And there's going to be a Gentile branch of government over the whole world. I'll lay that all out for you in time. I'll explain it later. But just understand, the church has been promised that they will rule and reign with him. And he said that they would be able to sit with him on his throne. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul's dealing with the problems that are arising in the church there in Corinth and some of the dissension that has arisen. And actually some of the believers there in that church were suing each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, as he deals with this, look at what he says. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will, what? Judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So folks, if the Bible here says that the church is going to rule and reign with Christ and going to judge the world, the Bible also says that we're going to judge who? Angels. So that's more than just earthly ruling and reigning. There's a heavenly type of ruling and reigning as well. Where in God's plan, again, I, everything in me has had the hardest time when I teach the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation actually makes a lot of sense if you understand all the passages that deal with it. And the problem is, is I want to tell you them all tonight. <laughs> and I can't. Because most of you probably can't swim if I gave you all the scriptures. <laughs> but at the same time, just stick with me for now. The Bible has been teaching that the church is going to rule and reign with Jesus, and they're going to rule and reign not only on the earth, they're also going to rule and reign in heaven and sit on thrones with Him in heaven, and they're going to rule over angels. Uh, how are these 24 elders dressed according to Revelation chapter 4? They're wearing white. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Go back to Revelation. Look at chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6. Again, message to the church in Sardis, which was also message to the churches. Yet you have, still have a few names in Sardis, people who, who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I'll never blot out his name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now again, as I'm laying this out for you, I want you to understand something. When John is describing what he sees, when it's something he actually hadn't seen before, he uses words like, it looked kind of like this, and it kind of looked like that, and the color was kind of like this, and this had the appearance of that. But he didn't use those words for the 24 elders, did he? He described them like we would understand who they were. You're going to find that when we get to the rest of the chapter and deal with the four living creatures. Probably won't get there tonight. But as we look at the four living creatures, you'll notice that he describes the four living creatures in such a way that he acts like his readers would know what they were. 
Well, the reason is, as you'll see when we get to it next week, the four living creatures have already been seen. Ezekiel saw them when he was taken into the presence of God. Ezekiel describes the four living creatures. Isaiah describes some of the angels that are there around the throne as well. And so I want you to understand that as John says, in the, I saw 24 thrones around the throne and on them were 24 elders. He acts like we should know who they are, doesn't he? Well, you know why? Because we've already been being told all along who the 24 elders are. As you put all these scriptures together, you'll see that the 24 elders are the church. Uh, what are they wearing, by the way? They're wearing white, but what else are they wearing? They're wearing crowns. And that Greek word translated crown is the Greek word stephanos, which means a, a reward. It's something you earn. It's a victor's crown. All right. Now, go with me to Revelation again. You're in chapter 3. Look at verses 11 through 13. Yes. You're going to get to the number 24 in just a little bit. I'm glad you're asking that question, though, John. It's a great question. I'll show you the significance of 24. That's coming up. You smart kids always try to run ahead. Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 11 through 13. I'm coming soon, Jesus says. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your what? Your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and on him in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Again, they describe that you're going to be given white if they conquer through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to give you a crown. But go to Revelation chapter two. Look at verse 10. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Here he's talking literally to this, that church uh, and what happened to them. And again, if you want to know what that was all about, you have to go back to my teaching on the book of Revelation on my website or to Tony Kessinger's book, Come Out Over My People. It'll lay out exactly what he was talking about, what was happening to the church in Smyrna at that time. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. One more. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 6 through 8. Paul is at the end of his life. He realizes now that he's about to see the Lord and he's finished the race. And listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. He says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you see it? So all the way through, we've seen that the Bible's been showing us that the church was going to be dressed in white. They're going to be given crowns. They're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And when John gets to heaven, when he's told, come up here, I'm going to show you what takes place after this. Remember, after this meanings. remember, he was told to write three things from our first study last week in Revelation chapter one. Write what is, which is what he saw, the vision of Jesus on the earth. Write, sorry, what, write what you see, which is the vision of Jesus. What is, which is the church age, which he did in chapters two and three. And then he says, come up here, I'm going to show you what must take place after this, because he had been told to write about three things, hadn't he? What he saw, what is, and what? 
what's to take place after this. At this point now, he's told in chapter 4 that, come up here, I'm going to show you what's going to take place after this. As he gets up there, who's already in heaven? The church, the 24 elders are there. Now, if you want to do a further study, you can go look in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, where Ezekiel's taken into the throne room of God, and he sees the same place that John sees here in Revelation chapter 4. And you can go to Isaiah chapter 6, and you can take a look at how Isaiah had been taken into the presence of God. And he got to see the same thing that John got to see in Revelation chapter 4, and Ezekiel got to see in Ezekiel 1 and 10. But you'll notice something. As much as John describes the rainbow, and Ezekiel describes the rainbow. As much as uh, John, sorry, Ezekiel describes the four living creatures and John describes the four living creatures, John sees something that they didn't see. The 24 elders and the 24 thrones around the throne, they weren't there when Isaiah saw the throne of God and he describes the throne of God. And when Ezekiel describes the throne of God, but the 24 thrones around the throne weren't there, but now they are. Now that they are, all right? So let's deal with John's question back there. What about this number 24? What does it represent? Actually, the Bible's already told us. Again, that's the value of knowing the whole of Scripture. So you can build your theology from the whole of Scripture. The number 24 in Scripture has been used of God to represent spiritual government and worship leadership. You say, how has it been used to describe spiritual government and worship leadership? Go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 24. 1 Chronicles chapter 24. Way, way back in the Old Testament. You see, God had set it up that the nation of Israel would be, uh, they'd have a group of people that would serve as priests. Who was the tribe to serve as priests? The Levites, the descendants of Aaron. They were to be the ones who served as the priests. Well, how did you become a Levite? You were born into it, right? And whoever was a Levite would serve as the priests. Well, over time, a lot of Levites were born. Actually, so many Levites were born, they all couldn't serve as priests. It got a little crowded in the temple. So God actually took all the priests and broke them down into divisions. Does anybody know how many divisions? 24. As you look here in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, starting in verse 7, it says the first lot, or they, they're breaking the divisions now down. The first fell to Jehorib, the second to Jediah, the third to Harim, the fourth to Seorim, the fifth to Malchijah, the sixth to Mijamin, the seventh to Hakaz, the eighth to Abijah, the ninth to Jeshua. I'm gonna, I could keep going, but I would get really messed up by the time I got to verse 18, which is what? And the 23rd to Deliah, and the 24th to Messiah. These had their appointed duty in the service to come to the house of the Lord, according to the procedure established for them by Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded him. And so as you see, all of the priests were now broken down into 24 divisions. That's going to be important later on at the end of our study tonight, as I pull out something for you. I'm going to pull out for you a hypothetical uh, idea at the end of our study tonight, which I think I can back scripturally. And if you'll stick with me on that, I think you may get kind of excited about a possibility that I think that God wants to show us from his word tonight. And it's actually going to come from something in here. But back when they needed to, to kind of divide all the priests so they didn't all serve at the same time, they broke them into 24 divisions. And when it was your division's turn to serve, you took your turn in the temple. As you're going to see later on in Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah is in the temple and he's told by God that he's going to have, he and Elizabeth are going to have a son and they're to name him John. We know him as John the Baptist. He was serving, according to the scriptures, and I'll show you this later, 
when it was his turn. Why? Because he was of the priestly division of Abijah. You see there in verse 10, the seventh to her caused the eighth to Abijah. And so what God did was he took all the priests and he represented them with 24 divisions. All right. Spiritual leadership. But if you get to chapter 25 of First Chronicles, they got another problem. Same problem a lot of our churches have today. They had too many singers. <laughs> Everybody wanted to have the solo. And so they did the same thing with the worship leaders. In 1 Chronicles chapter 25, look at verses 9 through 31. Again, they broke them down. The first lot fell to Asaph from, for Asaph to Joseph, the second to Gedaliah, to him and his brothers and his sons, twelve, the third to Zechur and his sons and brothers, the fourth, and so on. Go to verse 31. And the 20, to the 24th, to, I'm not even going to try to say that one, Romam, that's good enough, and his sons and his brothers, 12. Look, look at it said. Again, the worship leaders were also broken down into divisions. How many divisions? 24. The 24 represented the whole group of worship leaders. Just like the 24 divisions of a priest represented all of the priests, and they served at their time and, their, and when it was their turn. I believe that the Bible's showing us in the same way that when John says, and there were 24 thrones around the throne, and on those thrones were 24 elders, the Bible's been showing us all along with the promises and what's going on here, that this is the church. It's the church broken down into 24 divisions representative of the rest. Oh, stick with me. I'll show you something cool in a little bit. And I'll even give you a little commercial. I think at the end of our study, and I can show you that we may get a chance to sit on one of those thrones. It's easy for us to say, well, yeah, that's the church. I'm going to let you start letting something ruminate with you a little bit. I think I can show you that you may one day, if you are a part of his bride, you're part of the church, that you may one day get to sit on one of those thrones in the presence of God on that throne when it's your turn. I'll let that sink in. Let's deal with those who thought that the 24 elders would be angels. The 24 elders can't be angels because they don't receive crowns. Do the angels receive crowns? For No. Actually, nor do they sit on thrones and rule since they are, as the Bible is about to show you, ministering servants sent out to serve on behalf of those who will inherit salvation. We are going to rule and reign over angels, the Bible says. The angels are not going to be ruling and reigning in heaven. The angels are ministering servants, and it cannot get any more clear than Hebrews chapter 1. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 for you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. 
But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, un of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Are the angels sitting on the thrones around the throne? No, so it definitely can't be the angels. So let's get rid of the idea that it's the 24 elders are angels. It's not. Obviously from Scripture, not possible. Others have said that the uh, 24 elders represent all the saved, Old Testament and New Testament, for all of time. And they try to use a passage in Revelation 21 to point this out. So go with me to Revelation 21, because I want to show you what they're going to throw at you. And I'm going to show you from Scripture how that's not possible. And it'll actually take us into a study which you probably had not even thought we were going to go into tonight. And neither had I. But as I began to break this down, I realized we have to go somewhere that's kind of deep. I'm going to warn you now that where we're going to go next with explaining to you why it can't be the church and all the believers from all of history. In order to explain it to you from Scripture, I've got to use Scripture that takes us into a study that's pretty cool but pretty deep. So be ready for that. All right. In Revelation chapter 21, look at what he says here in verse... We'll start in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates of the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east were three gates, and on the north three gates, and the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, first of all, they have said, well, there you go. This new Jerusalem that's going to come down at the end of the tribulation period, at the end of the millennial kingdom, at the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth, it's going to have 12 uh, gates and it's going to have 12 foundations and 12 of them are going to be the apostles and 12 are going to be the, uh, the, the 12 uh, disciples. Uh, therefore, that shows 12 plus 12 is 24. That means the 24 elders are the Old Testament saints and the New Testament church and they're together be ruling and reigning. We've got a couple of problems with that theory, though. One, first of all, we're comparing apples and oranges. All it says here is that in this new Jerusalem is going to be made up of all of those. And this is happening when? I already told you. After the millennial kingdom. I'm going to show you from Scripture that the 24 elders can't be Old Testament believers, although I believe Old Testament believers are in the presence of God right now. I mean, Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus appeared and had his glory shine through in Matthew 17. I mean, when Jesus himself in John chapter 8 said that he's not the God of the, of the dead, but of the living. And he said uh, he'd seen Abraham. They said, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? 
And he says, before Abraham was even born, I am. And so he even talked like Abraham was still alive and they were buds and they'd seen each other. The Old Testament believers are in the presence of God. But I'm going to show you from Scripture that the 24 elders cannot be the Old Testament believers in the church, but only the church, because the Old Testament believers and the, the believers that are saved, we call them tribulation saints, the one who come to faith during the tribulation period, they don't get their bodies until the end of the tribulation. This is happening after the millennial kingdom and all that kind of stuff. It's not till the end of the tribulation that the Old Testament saints and the, the tribulation saints get their new bodies. We get ours when? At the rapture. The Bible teaches. Let me tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. We're all going to be changed in a moment. Twinkling of the eye. We're going to be caught up. We're going to get our new bodies. At the same time, we'll deal with that passage a little later tonight. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about how those who have gone to be with the Lord are going to come with Him. We who are alive on the earth are going to be caught up. Their bodies are going to come out of the ground. We're going to go be with the Lord and we'll meet Him in the air and so on. We get our new bodies at the rapture. Romans chapter 8 says that creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Yes, sir. Where are they? Who? You die absent of the body, present with the Lord. Right now you go into the presence of God. They have, they have a recognizable existence, but they don't have their eternal bodies that they're going to be getting. I'm going to try real hard to not preach this whole thing, but let me just say this to you quick because we'll get into it in more detail when we get to the seals coming up soon. There are three laws of, of redemption in the Old Testament that point to what is going to happen afterwards. In the Old Testament, at the, in the garden, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, three things happened. One, they began to physically die. They also, before that, spiritually died at that moment, right? They died spiritually, but then their bodies began to physically die. And the earth was cursed. In the Old Testament, there are three laws of redemption, and I'm not going to go into the detail, we'll go into that more, that all point to things that point to the redeeming of those three things. There's three rules of redemption that God set up. One was the redeeming of the bride. One was the redeeming of the slave. One was the redeeming of the land. We'll get into all that. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, what happens to you spiritually? You were dead spiritually before you got saved. What happens to you spiritually? You're born again. You're redeemed at that time, right? So that one problem, they spiritually died at the moment they sinned. That was taken care of at the moment we trusted Christ as our Savior. But let me ask you a question. Those of you who have trusted Christ as your Savior, I, we, hopefully you don't have any problem bragging and thanking the Lord for it. How many of you, show your hands, know you're saved because of Jesus? Thank the Lord. All right, put your hands down. For those of you that just raised your hand and says, I know I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. When you got saved, did your cholesterol drop? Did you lose 15 pounds? Did your body still decay? It's still dying. Why? Because it has not been redeemed yet. That's the next one that's going to be redeemed is the body. But there's a third thing that happened in the garden. Remember, they died spiritually. They began to die physically. And then the earth was cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. In the Old Testament, there was a law of redeeming the bride. There was a law of redeeming the slave. And there was a law of redeeming the, the land. That's why in Romans chapter 8, in verses 18 and following, it says that creation is waiting anxiously for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because it says, then creation knows after the sons of God are revealed... They will, it will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And I'm going to show you, maybe next week, but definitely the week after that, whenever we meet, that when Jesus begins to open those seals, that that scroll with seven seals represents the title deed to the earth. And that means that prior to him opening the seals and redeeming the land, 
the rapture of the church had to have already recurred because creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And Romans 8 goes on and says that the sons of God are revealed at the redemption of our body, our adoption as sons. So that's the short version. I can't wait to show you the cool big version, but for now that's good enough. So at this point, the church has received their new bodies, but I'm going to show you from Scripture the tribulation saints don't get their new bodies till the end of the tribulation, and the Old Testament saints don't get their new bodies till the end of the tribulation. Yes, sir. To be really honest with you, this is one of my best answers, and this is what everybody's should be their answer on this. When Matthew 27 talks about Jesus' resurrection, that all of a sudden some graves are open and some people that they recognize, some saints walked around, the answer is no one knows. To be really honest with you, we don't know if those people rose again and then died again. We don't know if they, because, you know, Lazarus raised again, but he died. Jairus' daughter was raised again, but he died. Did I say he? Sorry, she. Thank you. Hey, that means you're listening. That's good. Yeah, and... Uh, I could go on. I mean, the widow's son and all. So we do, honest answer, we don't know. There's lots of people that speculate. There are some that think that that's, as I'm going to show you from Scripture, there's actually a bunch of different orders of, re of resurrections. Some say that was right after Jesus, the first one. Could be. We'll get to that. But that's a great question. But again, I have no problem with saying I don't know because I want you to believe me when I say I do know. All right. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter... Six. These are verses 9 through 11. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And when he, meaning Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Now these are the tribulation saints. These are the ones who were killed during the tribulation period. Their souls are under the altar. By the way, you want further evidence that this is a different dispensation? Remember we dealt with dispensations last week? When Jesus died on the cross, what was his prayer about those who were sitting? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When Stephen was being stoned in Acts chapter 7, what was his prayer? Father, don't hold this sin against them. Yet the believers that are killed during the tribulation, their attitude is, how long till you get them back? It's a time of judgment now. The age of grace has come to an end. This is a different time period. But those who were killed during the tribulation period, they're alive, they're recognizable, but their souls are there at the altar, and they're watching what's going on on the earth, and they say, how long till you avenge our blood? And they said, hey, he says, look, you've been given righteousness. That's what the white robe is. You've been given righteousness. Wait a little bit longer till the rest of the ones that are going to be killed during this time period have been killed. Go with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Has anybody ever heard a scripture years ago we used to quote in the King James about rightly dividing the word of God? Now you're starting to see the importance of knowing what is talking about when and where and stop trying to make it all apply to the same time periods. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. 
This is describing the millennial kingdom at the end of the tribulation period. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the keys to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw also the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. So at the end of the tribulation period, remember the tribulation saints were told, wait until the rest of your brothers are killed like you are. And at the end of the tribulation period, they came to life and reigned with Him during the millennial kingdom. All of the Old Testament saints at that time is when they get their earthly bodies, or not earthly, but their, their, their new spiritual bodies, which are their eternal bodies. We've already gotten them at the rapture. The tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints don't get it until when? The end of the tribulation period before the millennial kingdom begins so they can live on the earth with their new bodies. Let me give you one more passage and then we'll deal with one that hopefully puts it all together. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3 and then verse 13. Daniel chapter 12, he's been given all his vision about the end days. In chapter 12, verse 1, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Look at verse 13. But go your way till the end. Tell Daniel this. Go your way to the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place. When? At the end of days. When it's at the end of the tribulation period, here we see that there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Well, we've already seen in Revelation that there's two resurrections in that resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous are resurrected first at the end of the tribulation period. They're given their reward and they're going to have their responsibility in the millennial kingdom. The tribulation saints are going to get their bodies at that time and their reward and their responsibility in the millennial kingdom. The unrighteous are going to rise from the dead as well. But they're going to go, as you'll see later on in chapter 21, they're going to rise to stand before the great white throne judgment where they'll be judged according to what they've done and the fact that their names aren't in the Lamb's book of life. And then at that point, they'll be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. So, sounds like there's different times that people are resurrected, doesn't it? You know, the Bible's told us that all along. Even in passages we would read. Now, some of us may say, well, I don't read Revelation. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm not really good with the Old Testament. Well, let me take you to a book you probably read. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A chapter you probably have read quite a bit, especially around Easter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at 
We're going to start in verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, but by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Look closely what Paul says. He's been dealing with people saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you're still in your sins. He says, actually, Jesus did rise from the dead. And I love this. He's described as the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And, and we'll do a study of this later on when we get to chapter 7, which is actually pretty soon because we're going to jump around, remember, in a chronological order. And I'm going to show you again further evidence of the fact that the church has to have been raptured prior to the beginning of the tribulation period because those who are saved at the beginning of the tribulation period, the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe, there, as you're going to see, described as the first fruits. Wait a minute. First fruits were representative of those that were follow like them, right? The first fruits of the harvest was the representative of the rest of the harvest. Jesus is described as the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. How can he be the first fruits of those who have risen from the, bed, the dead? We've already just said that Jairus' daughter rise from the dead and Lazarus rose from the dead. How could Jesus be the first fruits? How could he be the first one that represents the rest of his kind? He never died again. Jesus is the first fruits of those who rise from the dead for good. But look at what it says. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then when at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority. Now keep in mind, the kingdom is beginning at the end of the tribulation period. We've just seen that at the end of the tribulation period, the tribulation saints rise from the dead and get their new bodies. The Old Testament saints rise from the dead and get their new bodies. So you'd say, okay, hang on for a second, Jim. Um, I'm, I'm with you that there's an order. Jesus first. Then the resurrection of the just at his coming, which is actually his second coming when he comes to the earth. The rest of the dead don't come to life until the thousand years are over. When that thousand year millennial kingdom is over, that's when the unrighteous and all the ones who have died unrighteously through the millennial kingdom are going to be judged. Where's the rapture here? This says that Jesus is the first fruits. And then after his first fruits is going to be at his second coming when the righteous are going to be given their new bodies. Well, that's because this thing called the rapture was a secret. That's why in chapter 15, if you were to keep reading, look at verses 30, uh, sorry, 50 and following. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says in that same context, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Oh, by the way, hang on for a second. 
What about all those people that say the kingdom is now? And the kingdom, this is the kingdom. What does the scripture say? Flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom. This kingdom that is coming is when Jesus literally rules on the earth, but at the same time, those of us who inherit it aren't going to be like we are now. We're going to have new bodies. They're going to be new bodies. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And another word for mystery could be, let me tell you a secret. If you were to look at Galatians and Ephesians, you would see that Paul, a couple of times, used this word. And he said, let me tell you a mystery. Let me tell you something that previous generations, he even said that, things that weren't revealed to previous generations, but now are being revealed to us. And some of those mysteries he revealed that God was going to put his spirit within us Gentiles. The Old Testament, the saints would become believers, but he didn't put his spirit in them. The spirit of God would come upon them. But that's why David said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because sometimes when they disobeyed, he'd remove his spirit. But for those of us who are in the church, remember, he's been doing this to make Israel jealous. He's just given us all those promises. If you were looking at Ezekiel chapter 38, you, sorry, 36, you would find that God promised Israel that in the last days, he's going to bring them back into their land. He's going to erase all their sin. He's going to put his spirit in them and move them to follow his decrees. And the Bible says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, sorry, chapter three, he says, let me tell you a secret. All the promises for Israel are yours right now because you're in the church. We haven't replaced Israel. God's not done with Israel. Romans 11 says, don't you think you're better than those Jews? Don't think you Gentiles have replaced them. Don't think God's done with them and now it's all for in the church. No, you've been grafted in for a time, but it comes to an end. And when the time of the Gentiles comes to an end, he'll finish what he started with Israel. But for God's purposes, he has at this time right now for his glory and to make Israel jealous, given us Gentiles who haven't even sought to follow the laws, who haven't even sought to keep the commandments, who haven't even sought to do the festivals or all the feast days. He's just said, I'm going to give you the promises I gave to Israel. Why? To show his wonderful love and grace and mercy and to make Israel jealous. Write this down. Go look at it and double check me later on. But way, way back. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21, God told the nation of Israel, way back before they went into the promised land, he said, you're going to go after other gods that aren't gods. That's Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. You're going to go after other gods that aren't gods to make me jealous. I'm going to take a people you don't consider a people and make you jealous. By the way, who are the people that the Jews don't consider a people? Gentiles. And Paul in Romans chapter 11, over and over, three times, says, Is God done with Israel? No. Is God done with Israel? No. Have they fallen never to be redeemed? No. But he's saving Gentiles right now to make Israel jealous. And when this time comes to an end, he's going to finish what he started with Israel. So, folks, with that in mind, keep in mind, Paul says, he used that same word. Let me tell you something that hadn't been revealed in times past, but is now being revealed to the church. I'm going to tell you a secret. We're not all going to sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, let me tell you something. 
Was the fact that the dead were going to be raised a mystery? Good. Otherwise, I'd have to start all over again. (laughs) Way, way back, Daniel was told, you're going to rest with your fathers until the time of the end. The Bible talked a lot about the resurrection of the just and the unjust. The Bible talked a lot about the fact that there was going to be this resurrection at the end of days. So what's the mystery then? There's no mystery that there's going to be a resurrection. Oh, the mystery is in the second coming of Jesus, just like the Jews didn't understand his coming had two parts. He came the first time to die for the sins of the world. He comes the second time to judge and to set up his kingdom. Just like the Jews didn't understand that his coming had two parts, his second coming has two parts. And he says, let me tell you a mystery. Let me tell you something most people don't understand. We... Did you catch that? We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. Paul actually expected the rapture in his day. So those of you that say, it could be any moment. Well, people have been saying that for 2,000 years. Good. Because we're to be living like it could happen at any moment. We're just closer than the people years ago. So that we're more right. No, I don't know. I don't know if we're more right or not. But here's the deal. Listen to this. Paul says, let me tell you a mystery. Some of us are going to get our new bodies while we're still here. Did you catch that? Some of us are going to get our new bodies while we're still standing here. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I could quote this passage to you. It's one of my favorites, but I want you to read it. I want you to read it with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verses 13 through 18. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And that means the Christians who have died. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring, catch that, with him, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those of us still on the earth, when he does this rapture thing, we won't miss what's going on, because he's going to bring those. He said, we who are alive until left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of, there's that word again, trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them where? In the clouds to meet them where? The Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul says, let me tell you something so you don't grieve like the rest of the people who don't have any hope. You believe Jesus died and rose from the dead? Good. God's going to bring with Jesus those who have gone to be with him. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. And we who are alive at that time are going to be caught up to go meet him there. And we're going to go be with the Lord. Let me again remind you of John 14. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. Don't think he's out there swinging a saw, preparing a place for you. He hadn't gone to the cross yet when he made this statement. He said, in my father's house are many rooms. They already exist. And I go to prepare a place for you. And what he meant was, I'm going to the cross. How does God prepare a place for Jesus? Prepare a place for us in the presence of God. 
by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And if I go and prepare a place for you, the context is the presence of God, I will come and take you to be with me where? Where I am. Did you catch that? It's the rapture. Those who have died already, who are in Christ, at the moment they died, Jesus came and get them. The Bible says so. Don't let people tell you, well, I saw this long light, and at the end I had to go through this tunnel, and there was light. No, the Bible says Jesus is going to come get us. So if that's what the Bible says, I will only believe what people, well, I saw it. I, I had an out-of-body experience. If it doesn't match up with Scripture, Satan loves to pretend. The Bible says he loves to masquerade as an angel of light. So just because you saw light at the end of the tunnel, don't feel good. Are you in Christ? Satan would love to convince a lot of people they're okay by giving them an experience. Now, I'm not saying people don't get to see the other side. I believe the Bible teaches even from Scripture they do. That's a question someone sent me an email recently. They said, well, what about people that say they have these experiences where they can talk to people from the other side? Oh, the Bible shows that a few times, doesn't it? Isn't that what happened with Moses and Elijah when they appeared on that mountain? And they were talking with Jesus about what must soon take place? The Bible teaches that it's possible to see people on the other side. Listen, but all the people that we see that they're communicating with on the other side are the people that are righteous and in Christ and given righteousness. They're on the good side. The ones who are in Hades aren't able to come visit. Luke 16 makes that very clear. So his return has two parts, folks. A coming for his church and then a coming to the earth. Back to what you were asking earlier about Matthew 27. There are some that think that Jesus' resurrection was the first. Then those who were resurrected at that time was another order. And then rapture. And then the righteous at the end of the tribulation period. And then the resurrection of the unrighteous at the end of the millennial kingdom. Possibility. They could have gotten their, their bodies at that time. But they're a special group. But don't build a doctrine on it because we don't know. Again, that's one verse that we really don't know anything else about that the Bible doesn't talk about anything like that at all. So never build a doctrine from one verse. All right? Now, we've got a couple minutes before we go. Any questions before I end with this one last thing I want to show you? Thoughts? Go ahead, Jeff. There are several trumpets in the tribulation, yet the passage you mentioned talked about the last trumpet. How do you associate those together? Well, we will deal with that more when we get to that point. Let me say you this. You'll be, you'll be hard-pressed to tell me which one's the last one. Because this one sure looks like the last one, and then there's some more. And then this one sure looks like the last one, and then this one's some more. All I know is this. Some people, I'm not going to say this is how it is. Some people teach that the rapture will happen on Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And there were two trumpets in that feast. The second blowing of the trumpet the shofar, the ram's horn, is called the last trumpet. It's not the last trumpet we see in Scripture. That's why some people have tried to make the, the second coming of Jesus, the rapture happened at the exact same time that he comes back. That doesn't work with the Scriptures because we were going, whoop, whoop, you know what I'm saying? And, and we're supposed to go be with the Lord where he is, but he's coming back and setting up his kingdom on the earth. We're going to be raptured and then come right back down. That doesn't work. What's... All I know is this, when that day happens, I'm going to hear a trumpet, and it'll be the one the Scripture's talking about. But having studied it intensely for years, there's no one who can honestly tell you what the last trumpet actually is in that reference. There's a lot of trumpets. Could it be Rosh Hashanah? Hopefully not, because you'd have to wait for a year. 
because I don't know if you all know it, but it passed this weekend. Yeah, I woke up on Rosh Hashanah and said, all right, Lord, of course, I'm doing the math with Israel and what time is sun come up over there and maybe they saw the moon and all this stuff. But God's got it. Don't be. I had someone ask me earlier, what about all these things and the signs and all this stuff? I'm glad you're watching. Be careful of anybody that takes them and predicts. Blood moons are there's something about the blood moons. But to go any further than that and say it means this or means that. Be careful. Because a lot of those uh, blood moons and solar eclipses and stuff can't be seen in Israel. Why would God use a sign for Israel that can't be seen in Israel? They can be seen in different parts of the globe. And yes, they do happen on feast days. And I think God's trying to get Israel's attention. But not all Israel's in Israel just now, is it? Are they? So God's talking to Israel. Folks, please help. I've got to keep from going preaching too much because I want to wrap with this one thing. But let me just say this to you. Stop trying to read the church into last day's prophecies. We are just something that he's doing for his purposes to make Israel jealous. Most of the prophecies are dealing with what he's going to be doing with Israel. The signs and the sun and the moon and all this kind of stuff and the earthquakes and all these things. Are they for us? No, those are the signs during the tribulation period that culminate with the return of Jesus Christ, and we're already gone. Well, Jim, how do you know? Well, hopefully I've given you a lot of evidence, because remember, we talked about first fruits. The 144,000 are described as the first fruits. Well, how could they be the first fruits of those who are saved if we're still here? They wouldn't be representative of us. Oh, they're the first fruits of those who are saved during the tribulation period. Guess what that means, folks? We're gone. If the 144,000 are the first fruits of the tribulation period, remember they have to represent the first ones represent what follows. We're gone. We're gone. Now, one last thing, and then we'll deal with this thing. As I was saying, please understand that most of the stuff that God's going to be doing in the last days to get attention of the world is to get the attention of the Jews. We've been grafted in for a time to make Israel jealous and for his purposes and for whenever he chooses to do it, he doesn't have to do it on a feast day. Whenever he chooses, he's just at some point going to take us away. Remember what he said to the church? We looked at that last week. The last church in the church age, the church in Laodicea, I'm about to what? Spit you out of my mouth. That means he's going to take those who are his and leave behind those who aren't. It's going to happen at some time. And John was told, come up here and let me show you, and I love this, I'm going to hammer it again one more time, and I'm going to do something with you that I, didn't do, I, that I didn't do with you that I did with the Wednesday night group. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you what? Must be born again. Did you catch that? You must be born again. So must we be born again? Yes. Jesus said in Acts chapter 4, 4, verse 12, there is no name under heaven by which we must be saved. Does that mean there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved? So when Revelation 4 says, come up here and I will show you the things that must take place, is all this stuff we're looking at going to happen or is it just symbolic? It must take place. And folks, when you take the book of Revelation literally, you'll find that it becomes really, really clear. So let's wrap up with that one last thing here in the couple minutes we have left. Two. 
there's a chance that you'll get a turn to sit on one of the thrones around Jesus' throne and to crash, cast your crown at his feet as well. Go to Revelation chapter 4. We saw that there were 24 thrones, right? We're going to look real quick uh, at verse 9, Revelation chapter 4. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne and lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So the 24 elders, the church, throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Remember the 24 is representative of the, big, the whole group, right? And just like if you were a Levite, you didn't serve all the time in the temple, but you served when it was your division's turn. Just like the worship leaders didn't all serve at the same time, but they served when it was their division's turn. What if we too, when it's our turn, our division's turn, get to sit on that throne? around the throne. We're all going to have an opportunity to take our thrones and cast them at his feet. And in Revelation chapter 5, here's the real part. I can't prove it, but I want you to just let God speak to you about it. In Revelation chapter 5, look at verses 1 through 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the who? One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Is there a chance... If God follows his pattern and that these 24 elders are the church, is there a chance that you too would get on to sit on the throne one day? That's an easy question. That's a yes or no question. Is there a chance? What if this person that we just read about to you? You ever thought about that? What if that might be you? Pretty cool, huh? Let me ask you, do you understand why he's able to open the seals and he's worthy to open the scroll? Do you understand what it all represents and what the seals all represent? If your answer is no, that's okay. Come back next week. Because we're going to lay it all out for you and get you ready in case that is you sitting on the throne that day and you'll be able to explain what's going to happen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you all next week.